Section 45 of From the Tower Window of My Bookhouse. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Asaf Koss. From the Tower Window of My Bookhouse. Edited by Olive Bupre Miller. Cuchlan, the Irish Hound. Retold from Songs of the Ancient Gaelic Bards In days when the world was young, and man towered up in elemental hardihood and simple majesty, like wind-blown oaks, there dwelt in Erin a race of giant heroes, the Red Branch Knights of Ulster. Mighty, exceedingly, were these men, and vast was the hall, where they met together in the dawn of a main Maka, so vast that a man, as men are now, standing in the centre and shouting his loudest, would not be heard at the circumference. Yet was the lowest laughter of the king sitting at one end clearly audible to those who sat about the champion at the other. The length of that great hall was a mile, nine furlongs and a cubit, and it was illumined by innumerable candles, tall as spears. The vast murmur of talk when all the red branch were assembled there was like distant thunder or the far-off boom of stormy waters. The roar of their tremendous brazen chariots shook the very heavens, and their giant steeds drank rivers dry so in their might and in their glory they rejoiced yet more in that inviolable unity which bound them all together a host of comrades of heroic valor but of heroic affection too which neither strength nor cunning neither power unseen or seen could ever destroy of these colossal heroes was concobar macnessa king and Fergus McCroy, champion. Yet, gigantic as they were, and gigantic as their deeds, they looked for one to come, a youth, in spirit more gigantic still, to lead them forth to mightier victories. So had the Longbeard, the Archdruid, foretold, high priest of Erin's ancient gods and prophet of the clan. Ye he is coming, he draweth nigh. Verily it is he whom I behold, the predicted one, the child of many prophecies, chief flower of the branch that is over all, the mainstay of a main maca, the torch of the valor and chivalry of the north, the star that is to shine forever upon the forehead of the gale. Now it is chanced at this time that Sualtam of Dundalgan, on the eastern sea, king of a rugged mountainous land, had taken to wife Dectora, sister of Concobar Macnessa, and they too had one only son, Shidenta. Shidenta was a child of simple, hardy purity of mind, who knew not guile or baseness. Along the sands and by the rolling waves he played. He had a ball and an ashen hurl shod with bronze. Joyfully he used to drive his ball along the sand, shouting among his playmates. 
the captain of his father's guard gave him a sheaf of toy javelins and taught him how to cast and made for him a sword of lath and a painted shield they made him a high chair too and in the great hall of the dun when supper was served he used to sit beside the champion of that little realm over against the king ever as evening drew on and candles were lit so the dishes on the table the armor and trophies hanging on the walls shone in the cheerful light there among those dark-browed bearded men appeared Shidenta, very fair and pure yellow-haired in his scarlet breda fastened with a little brooch of silver serene and grave beyond his years shining like some bright star on the edge of a mighty thundercloud as to the palace where he dwelt it was of timber staunched with clay and roofed with thatch of rushes without it was washed white with lime so that it shone and glistened from its height far far out to sea there was a rampart around the dun and a moat spanned by a drawbridge before it was a spacious lawn down which there ran a stream of sparkling water on this shidanta sailed his boats now where it stayed in silent stillness now where it hummed in hurrying rapids now where it clothed itself in silver to make liquid music or blow its little trumpet as it leaped in cataracts but at length the quiet life in that remote dun no longer pleased sedanta for the spirit awoke within him and drave him to be doing moreover he longed for comrades and his mother who loved him dearly would no more permit him to play with other children of that realm whose rude behavior she misliked for her dear child in summer he sat often with the ancient bard under the thatched eaves of the dun while crying swallows came and went above asking many questions concerning his illustrious forefathers of the line of ruri who had lived worthily and well and ever he loved best to hear of deeds of that great champion fergus macroy upon his seventh birthday scarcely after dawn shidanta ran to his mother and cried mother send me now to amain maka to my uncle dectra's face grew pale her knees smote one against the other for loving fear for answer she withdrew shidanta from society of men and kept him by herself within the women's quarter from the upper story of which a door opened on a balcony just above the king's throne in the banquet hall thence dectera was wont of mornings to direct the labors of the household thralls and thence ere he went to bed shidanta was permitted to cry good night to those good friends whose company he once had shared in the hall below and those great bearded heroes laughed much among themselves for well they knew the cause of little shidanta's imprisonment save for this shidanta saw no more of men and Ectora gave straight commandment to her women to speak no word to him concerning Emain Maka. The boy as yet knew not even where lay that wondrous city, whether in heaven or on earth, or beyond the sea. To him it seemed a fairy city, or one in the land of dreams. 
but still the strong spirit from within urged him on irresistibly he watched long lines of low in kind and laden garrins wending over the plain and wondered if their way led to the city one day he chanced his mother let drop words that made Shadanta know the road to a main maca went past the mountain sleeve food and thenceforth when he gazed upon that purple mountain top he thought it nodded and beckoned to him next morning after he had broken fast among the women he donned his best attire took his toy weapons a new bowl and his best ashen hurl shod with red bronze and when his mother had kissed him went forth as at other times to play alone upon the lawn under the eaves his father sat sunning himself and gazing on the sea the boy kneeled and kissed his father's hand swaltham stroked his head and said win victory and blessings dear shidanta in the window of the upper chamber sat Dectora amongst her women, embroidering a little garment for her boy. "'Mother!' he cried. "'Watch this stroke!' And he flung his ball into the air. Then, leaning back, he met it with his hurl as it fell, striking it with such force that it flew high up into the clouds. "'Give me thy blessing, dear mother,' he cried, stopping beneath her window ere he ran to search for his bowl. "'Win victory and blessings for ever, dear Shidanta,' she answered. "'Truly thou art an expert hurler.' "'These feats,' he replied, "'are nothing to what I shall do in needlework. O oh, mother, when I am of age to be trusted with my first needle, knighted by thy hands, and enrolled amongst the valiant company of thy sewing-women.' "'What meaneth the boy?' said his mother, perceiving he spoke awry. "'That his childhood is ended, O Dectra,' said one among the women." the queen's heart leaped blood forsook her face she bent her head over the little garment she was working and tears fell from her eyes after a space she looked out again upon the lawn to see if her boy had returned he was not there so she bade her women go and fetch him everywhere they searched they called aloud shedanta oh shedanta but there was no answer only silence and from the leaves of those tall sentinels the watching trees a sound like low and mocking laughter for shedanta was far away the boy went swiftly for there was power upon him that day in his left hand was his sheaf of toy javelins, in his right the hurl. His little shield was strapped upon his back. With his hurl he ever urged his ball forward, and followed running where it fell. At other times he would cast a javelin far westward, and pursue its flight. Diverse persons, noble and ignoble, passed him on the way some riding in chariots some going on foot but they went as though they saw him not in the evening he came to sleevefwood here he gathered a bed of moss wrapped himself in his mantle and lay down to sleep feeling neither cold nor hunger 
loud singing of birds awoke him and light of heart he started from his couch while dawning day still trembled through the half-bare trees hastening to a brook nearby he bathed in the clear pure water then he put on his shirt of fine linen and his woolen tunic of many pleats that reached to his knees and his little woolen breda of diverse colors and went on his way reverently he laid a stone in tribute on the well-heaped cairn sacred to the memory of the hero of the mountain and so at last he came to the brow of the hill looking off to westward he saw far away all white and shining the walls and low rambling buildings of the marvellous city amain maka whereat he trembled and rejoiced and wept then on he went more slowly till he drew near the great painted glowing palace but here he was filled with awe and fear covering his face with his mantle he wept aloud and said he would return to dundalgan for that he dare not set unworthy feet in such a holy place but as he wept there fell upon his ear the cheerful voices of happy boys who break from the palace and ran down the wide smooth lawn to the hurling ground at sight of them his heart yearned for their companionship he longed to go to them and say i am little shadanta my uncle is the king and i would be your friend and playfellow but he knew not how they would receive him fear strove with hope and love within his heart yet he was urged forward by what power he knew not Reluctantly, with many pausings, he drew nigh the players, and stood solitary near the southern barrier, for the company that held that goal appeared the weaker. He hoped that someone among them all would call to him and bid him welcome, but none called or welcomed. Some looked at him, but with looks of cold surprise, as though they said, What does this stranger hear? Silently the child wept he had thought he would be welcomed and made much of because of his skill in hurling and because he was the nephew of the king and because he himself longed so exceedingly for companions and there was in him such a fountain of loving-kindness and affection many time happy visions had passed before his eyes of his meeting with his future comrades but now that he was with them no one bade him welcome or took him by the right hand and led him in no one seemed glad of his coming and he was here of no account at all bitter were his tears soon the ball struck sideways bounded into the clear space near shedanta thou of the javelins cried the captain of the distress party the ball is with thee on a sudden shirenta filled with all the glow and ardor of the mimic battle cast his javelins to the ground slipped the strap of his shield over his head flung the shield beside his javelins on the grass and pursued the bowing ball outrunning all the rest he took possession of it and urged it forward now to right and now to left deftly he played it before every opponent who sought to check him carrying it swiftly and cunningly past each 
till finally with one strong stroke he sent it straight through the middle of the north goal loudly the boys of his adopted party praised him shidenta's eyes were sparkling and his face flushed with joy but the captain of the northern company came down across the lawn with his boys crowding round shidenta thou art a stranger here he said and on sufferance and we will permit thee to join our company only on condition that thou wilt acknowledge thyself subject unto us shidenta's brow fell and he answered put not upon me i pray you these hard terms i would be your friend and comrade i cannot be your subject being what i am and they said who art thou and he answered i am the son of king sualtam and queen dectera of dundalgan and nephew to thy king then the boy who was captain of the whole school and biggest and strongest of all stood over him and said thou the king's nephew and comest hither without chariots and horsemen and a prince's retinue and guard nay thou art a churl and a liar to boot he thee hands with wings at thy heels or verily with sore blows i shall beat thee off the lawn thereat the blood forsook shadanto's face he stood like a figure carved of white marble and that other angered to see him stand so still and mistaking for fear the pallor of wounded tenderness raised his hurl and struck at the boy with all his might shiranta sprang back avoiding the blow and ere the other could recover himself smote him backhanded over the right ear the boy's knees suddenly relaxed the useless weapon fell from his hands then some lads stood aside but the rest ran upon shidenta in a crowd to beat him off the lawn stoutly the stranger defended himself for in his gentle heart awoke the spirit that brooks no injustice many a time he was overborne and flung to the ground but again he rose overthrowing others never quitting hold of his hurl and whenever he got a free space wielding that weapon like war mace the skirts of his mantle were torn only a rag remained round his shoulders fastened by the brooch while his foes closed in upon him on each side he beat his way to the grassy rampart where was the goal and standing there flung them a challenge you have bade me proclaim myself your subject he cried and i would not but now since you have fallen on me many against one i swear to you that you and i do not part this day till you have acknowledged yourselves subjects unto me then a boy stood out from the rest freckled and red-headed henceforth thou shalt have a comrade in thy battle o brave stranger he cried and running to shadenta he knelt down and took his hand i am thy man from this day forward and so he was brave loig shadenta's closest friend for evermore a few who loved the stalwart red-haired boy came now over to shadenta's side and though their numbers were still few they drave the multitude before them over the whole plain ground until they break their ranks and fled 
of the fugitives some ran round to that fair lawn before the palace where beneath a spreading tree concobar the king and fergus the great champion sat on three-legged stools before a table spread with brightly coloured cloth and played at chess with men of gold and silver but Chidenta, in hot pursuit, sprang lightly over the table. Then Conquar caught him by the wrist and brought him to a stand, panting and with dilated eyes. Who art thou? he cried. Who thus misused my boys? I am Shedanta, son of Swaltham and of Dectra, thy sister, and it is not before mine own uncle's palace that I should be dishonored. Conquabar smiled, well pleased with the behavior of the boy, but Fergus caught him up in his great arms and kissed him, offering to be his tutor. Thus Shedanta came unto his uncle's court, and the reward of his first show of courage was that the boys elected him to be their captain. A just and gentle captain he made, a good playfellow and comrade and ever his closest friend who slept in the same bed with him was loig who came so nobly to assist him in that great school for boys kept at the king of ulster's court shedanta was taught to hurl spears at a mark to train war-horses and guide war-chariots to use the sword to run to leap to swim to rear tents of turf and branches swiftly and to roof them with sedge and rushes to speak and bear himself toward all in seemly fashion to respect his plighted word and be ever loyal to his captains to reverence women and in hearing tales of his illustrious ancestors to distinguish between those who had done well and those who had done ill so much Shedanta learned at court that his good mother could but be reconciled to their parting. Now it happened when Shedanta had reached his tenth year that there came unto a main maka a man, grim, huge, and swarthy, messenger from Hulen the smith, mightiest craftsman of those days, who made weapons, armor, and chariots for the Ultonians. Hulen dwelt with his industrious journeymen and apprentices in a huge and smoky dun, where the ringing of hammers and roaring of bellows seldom ceased. At night the sparks from his anvils and the red glare of his furnaces painted far and wide the sky, above the barren moor, a fearful sight. This grim messenger Hulen had sent to bid Concobar unto a feast with such of his followers as were not too hearty eaters, which prudent provision for the saving of his substance caused among Concobar's men much secret mirth. As the king with his followers set forth, they passed the lawn where Shedanta and his friends were playing, and stopped for a moment to look on the lad was straight and well made with sinews as hard as tempered steel when he saw the company looking at him he blushed and his blushing became him well hulen the smith had invited us to a feast said concobar if it pleases thee come too it pleases me indeed replied the boy for he ardently desired to see the famous artificer his furnaces and engines but let me first finish my game and then follow you so concobar gave his permission and went on 
when Hulin saw far away the tall figures of the Ultonians against the sunset, and the flashing of their weapons and armor, he cried out with a loud voice to his people to stop working, wash from them the smoke and sweat of their labor, and put on clean clothes to receive the red branch. Then he sent those among his men, who were best dressed and most comely, to receive the high king of the Ultonians on the moor but he himself stood looming in the great doorway leaning upon a huge long-handled sledge his vast and hairy chest half covered by a leathern apron as the king and all his knights filed by he gave to each a grave and friendly welcome when all had entered dusk had fallen are all thy people arrived then asked the smith they are said concobar so Hulan bade his people raise the drawbridge, which spanned the deep black moat surrounding the dun, and after that, with his own hands, he unchained his one and only dog. This dog was of enormous size and fierceness. It was supposed that there was not a single man in Ireland whom he could not overpower. He had no other good quality than that he was faithful to his master and guarded his property at night. Being let loose, he sprang over the moat and careered three times around the city, baying fearfully. It was just then precisely that Shedenta set forth from Emein Maka. In the meantime, the vast doors within the dun were shut candles were lit and the feast began full bountiful it was in spite of the great smith's request that no too hearty eater should attend on his high seat sat hulin with his dusky sons and kinsmen round him and opposite contrasting strangely sat the fair-haired concobar and all his bright and beautiful ultonians many kindly speeches praising one another made the smiths and sons of ulster till the evening being well advanced there remained not one past hero of the ultonians who had not been praised and pledged in mead then rose up concobar macnessa to speak of future heroes of his line and sang the praises of shedenta is he then a boy of such promise asked the smith he's all that i say answered concobar somewhat hotly and of that thou shalt thyself judge for he is coming and i am momentarily expecting to hear the loud clamour of his brazen hurl upon the doors of the dun after his having leapt at a single bound both thy moat and thy rampart at these words the smith started from his high seat uttering a great oath and sturdily chid concobar because he had said that all his men had arrived if the boy comes now he cried ere i can chain the dog verily he will be torn to pieces just then they heard the bane of the hound sounding terribly in the hollow night and every face was blanched throughout that vast assembly then there followed without a noise of trampling feet short furious yells and gaspings as of one exerting all his strength and last of all a dull and heavy thud that shook the earth 
ere the people in the dun could do more than look at one another speechless they heard a clear yet not clamorous knocking at the door some of the smith's men shot back the bolt in out of the night the boy shedenta stepped he was very pale and his linen tunic and scarlet mantle were in rags but he made a courteous reverence as he had been taught to the man of the house and his people then modestly withdrew toward the upper part of the chamber eagerly the oltonians ran to meet him but fergus macroy took the lad upon his mighty shoulder and set him down at a table between himself and concobar did the dog come against thee asked hulan truly answered the boy but at that moment entered a party of the smith's people bearing between them the body of the hound great silence fell upon the chamber when hulan spake at last his voice was charged with wrath and he thundered forth in sorrow loudly he demanded that concobar make him payment of an enormous eric to requite him for his faithful hound then answered concobar in like fury that his nephew had been forced in self-defence to slay the monster and no eric great or small should ever be head of him this speech the oltonians applauded fiercely whereat the smiths in wrath armed themselves with hammers tongs fire-poles and mighty bars of unwrought brass and the great hulan himself seized a tremendous anvil to destroy the red branch on their side the hultonians sprang to the walls where they had hung their arms plucked down their spears and shields from the pegs and drew their swords the whole vast chamber glittered with shaking bronze shone with the eyeballs of angry men and rang with fierce shouts of defiance the red branch embattled themselves on one side of the hall the smiths upon the other all burning with unquenchable wrath earth-born but ere the first missile was hurled on either side the boy shedenta rushed into the middle space which separated the men and cried aloud in his clear high voice that rang distinct above the tumult o oh, hulan and you ultonians my kinsmen restrain yourselves forbear to hurl unto thee o chief smith will i pay an eric not unworthy for the death of thy brave hound for verily i myself would take thy dog's place and nightly guard thy property sleepless as he was so will i continue to do until thou dost procure a hound as valiant and as trusty as the one i slew truly i slew not thy dog in any wantonness of superior strength but only in defence of my own knife which is not mine but my king's three times he leapt upon me with white fangs bared and eyeballs red with murder three times i cast him off and heard him not but when the fourth time he rushed upon me like a storm i seized him and flung him over against a pillar meaning but to make him stupid for i had no thought to kill him and truly i am sorry that he is dead seeing that he was brave and faithful and so dear to thee whom i have ever honoured and desired to see i thought our meeting whensoever it might come about would be other than this and wholly friendly 
as he went on the fierce brow of the smith relaxed first he regarded the lad with pity being so young and fair and then with admiration for his bravery but at last as he thought on his own boyish days a torrent of kindly affection and love poured from his heart toward young shadenta thy proposal is pleasing to me he said i will accept thy eric and he flung his mighty anvil over his left shoulder into the dark end of the vast chamber while all the smiths with mighty clatter laid aside their weapons and their wrath and the Ultonians rejoicing hanged their weapons once more on the walls feasting and pledging in friendly speeches were renewed and there was no more anger anywhere the harpers harped the Ultonians sang their mighty gathering song and the smiths sang one of their wild rousing songs of labor to the tune of tripping hammers ringing upon anvils and so shadanta remained long with the smith and hulun and his people loved him greatly and taught him many things it was thus he came by his second name kuchlun meaning hound of hulun under that name he wrought all his marvelous deeds on a solemn day when Cochlin was seventeen, Conquabar called him out from the ranks of his comrades, and, with due sense of the importance of his task, bade him take over the charge of keeping clean and bright the sacred chariot of Maka, wherein that mighty lady of battles, when she dwelt in visible form upon the earth, had ridden forth to conquer giants most holy relic in the main maca entrusted to the care of concobar the king the chariot was of enormous size and beauty and by its side within the building where it stood were two horse stalls with racks of golden bronze and mangers of yellow brass wherein once had been stabled maca's weird gigantic horses the room was without windows but was lit by nine great lamps obediently cochlan took the font skin towel and polished the chariot and mighty though it was he lifted it with his strong arms and made the wheels spin round then put fresh hay and barley in the stalls while concobar was polishing the pole the yoke and chains and taking from the wall long shining reins of interwoven brass and the headgear of the horses where are the horses my uncle concobar asked the boy i know not said the king but verily they are somewhere Liethmaka and black shanglin are their names for three hundred years they have not been seen in erin but they are to come again for the promised one who shall deliver erin from her foes and bear him to the conflict in this chariot mayhap that ancient hero uh, kimbouth will return to earth to be thy great deliverer said cuchlan nay answered concobar it hath not been so prophesied kimbouth was great and stern and formidable but our promised one is gentle exceedingly there will be more of love in his heart than war and he will not know his own greatness so saying concobar looked steadfastly upon the youth 
but Shadanta had no thought whatever of himself. He only answered, Mayhap Colonel Connach is to be that hero. On a certain night thereafter, Cochlan entered the armory of the Red Branch, and there suddenly appeared before him the majestic figure of a man, with port and countenance of some ancient hero, save that his face was shining with unearthly light. Thou shalt go forth to-night, Shadanta, said the man, and take captive the Lieth Maka and Black Shanglan. Power will be given thee. Go boldly forth. I am not wont to go forth fearfully, the lad made answer. If this task be for me, I will perform it. Forth he went into the night and having got of hulen two such bridles as the strongest steeds could never break he sought the mountain sleeveward and came unto the great grey lake the moon was shining and the lake gleamed everywhere like silver a huge grey horse was feeding by the waters he raised his head and neighed when he heard footsteps on the hill seeing cuchlan he rushed fiercely toward him the boy had one bridle knotted round his waist the other between his teeth he leaped upon the steed and caught him by the forelock and his mouth mightily the huge horse reared but the great power was on cuchlan and he held him fast the weird grey steed grew greater and more terrible so did cuchlan likewise thou hast met thy master liethmaka this night he cried long they reeled together steed and hero and that gigantic horse leapt like a thunderbolt from crag to crag and peak to peak thrice round the whole of ireland cochlan held fast to him nor would let go until he stood still conquered then cuchlan rode him forth onto the dark valley past the black phantom shapes that guard the entrance into the land of everlasting night where was a roaring of unseen rivers in the darkness and a rush of grim black cataracts the lieth maka here neighed mightily a horse neighed joyfully in answer there came a sound as of a door burst open and thunderous trampling on the hollow-sounding earth a coal-black steed came dashing toward the liethmaka in the dark cuchlan seized his head and beated him and bridled him ere he was aware the horse reared and struggled but in vain the liethmaka dragged him down the valley struggle not black shanglan said cuchlan i have tamed thy better yield thee slowly the black horse ceased to struggle also and betwixt the two cuchlan rode to a main maca thus came that momentous day when conquabar agreed to knight cuchlan forth from the palace the young hero came in all the glory of his regal manhood yet with a beautiful shamefastness proud in his humility and glittering like the morning star his silken mantle was of many hues all playing into one another and it was fastened at the breast with a brooch like a wheel of silver 
the leathern belt that girt his linen tunic was stained in color like a wild briar rose and on his feet were comely shoes sparkling with plates of bronze that took the color of whatsoever they approached the grown man held their breath as he drew nigh moving white knee after white knee over the green and sparkling grass when all the other rites had been performed cuchlan put his right hand into the hand of the king and so became his man then conquer gave him a shield two spears and a sword the best in all the land and from those lads who once had been his playmates cuchlan chose the faithful loeg to be his charioteer while neighing of the immortal steeds was heard in that long silent stable then thunderous rumbling of the great war-chariot and there it came to view guided by loeg out of the darkened doorway glorious green and gold in color with twinkling wheels the mantle of the charioteer streaming far outward in the wind the while he labored to restrain the furious dashing of the steeds like a hawk swooping along the face of a cliff when the wind is high was the rush of those horses the earth shook and trembled with the velocity of their motion but the charioteer drew rein until cuchlin sprang into the car beside him then once more the steed went dashing on and all that whole assembly lifted up their voices shouting for the new-made knight for that cuchlin their long-promised hero and in very truth cuchlin did fulfil the promise of the long beard the archdruid for he proved to be the greatest champion of the gales the pure burning torch of the chivalry of ulster in whose soul burnt that divine and godlike fire by which are ever sustained the glory and prosperity of nations End of section forty five